0: As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone.
1: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care.
2: Hello and welcome to The Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer.
3: And I'm Gabriel Mercotti. And we thank you for joining us on this fine Thursday morning. With us in the studio, it's Alan Smith, who's got a very long journey, apparently, on Easter Sunday. They was telling us all about to go and and cover Everton. Yeah, I might not make it home. (laughs) Um,
4: We'll see. In which case,
3: case, enjoy this podcast. It might be the very last time you hear Alan Smith. It's been nice. (laughs) And down the line from Manchester, where there's always news in the world of football, it's Paul Hurst. Later on, we'll be looking ahead to United's trip to Goodison and the battle to stay in the Premier League.
2: But we start with the Champions League quarterfinal, second leg at the Etihad. One of the most incredible matches in the competition's history. Five goals in the opening 21 minutes, a stoppage time winner ruled out. And at the end of it all, progression to a first ever semi final for Spurs at the expense of Manchester City. Paul, how do you even begin to sum up what we
5: saw? Oh, I still don't really know what happened to really. so honest, I'm <laughs> still sort of coming to terms with it. It was... Uh... An incredible match, definitely the, the craziest match that I've I've ever covered. Um, like you say, 21 minutes in, you've got five goals on the board already, and you just wonder how it's going to end up. Um, I actually said to one of my colleagues before the match, you know, this will be a this probably will be a crazy game because it's got all the you know perfect ingredients for it. You know, City had to attack because they were one 0 down, and they've got this. You know, Spurs are obviously very good on uh, offensively as well, and City have just got this mental fragility in the Champions League at this stage of the competition where they, you know, if they concede, they just seem to concede two or three uh, in quite, you know, quick succession they did against Monaco and Liverpool last season. So it was just an absolutely bonkers match and he was probably the best attacking performance I've seen from Man City and they still didn't go through. So, you know, that just sums up how crazy it was.
2: Well, we have to talk about VAR, of course, which played a huge part in all of the drama last night. Fernando Llorente's goal eventually was confirmed by VAR. Raheem Sterling scoring what he thought was a winner. Uh, Alan, do you think VAR got everything right?
4: Well, in terms of Sterling's disallowed goal, I don't think there's there's any
3: doubt there. Um, the, so the, talking the, though, Alan, how many people don't seem to know the rules?
2: Clarify <laughs> for and Gab.
3: And... I had some confusion about this myself last night. But Bernardo Silva, the fact, you know, people made the point that it was Bernardo Silva playing the ball, that it just deflect off him with Aguero upside. It doesn't matter. It only matters when it's a defending player. When it's an attacking player, which is simply the last touch. So, you know, Erickson could have shot the ball at him and it could have bounced off his head and he would have known nothing about it. And if Aguero's offside, he's offside. That's basically what the rules say. And that became a VAR moment because the assistant referee didn't put his flag up immediately. And the reason they don't put their flags up immediately is that if, for whatever reason, they get it wrong, if there's another touch or whatever, obviously you can't travel back in time and correct that. If if you stop him before he shoots, so that was actually something where they did everything correctly. And people bringing up VAR, or whatever, you know, beyond beyond the emotion of Sterling thinking he'd score and then he realizes he doesn't a lot of people have a lot of issues with that whole spontaneity celebration thing, but they did everything correctly on that one. I mean, I don't know if you agree, on.
4: Yeah, no, no, I do. Um, and in terms of the spontaneity thing, I, th- I think the, this argument that, you know, VAR is kind of detracting, from, you know, drama has been diminished, etc. I, I kind of felt watching, her might think differently, but watching on TV, I felt like I was, it was intensified even more last night because you had the sort of, you know, that the TV footage of Pep falling to his knees and then obviously the eruption from the Spurs... Fans, so you know this this kind of idea that VAR is kind of taking the emotion out of football is I I find a complete nonsense because you know if that goal had been allowed, we would probably be discussing you know wild conspiracy theories, referee, blah blah blah, players and you know managers would have come out last night, kind of you know criticizing the referee. Instead, we've had the correct decision, and ultimately, you know that's for the good of the game.
2: Well, that is the, the Raheem Sterling goal then that was uh, disallowed. What about Llorente's goal?
4: Um, I'm sure Gab, the uh, rules expert here, will be able to <laughs> clarify. But uh, as far as I was aware, that you know, next season, because even accidental handballs, goals from accidental handballs will be ruled out, that decision would be different. But in terms of the current rules, it was the correct decision. No?
3: This because- whole thing is confusing so there's some stuff that we don't know but but basically you're right so amazingly as, as we discovered from from Allison, there's an accidental hand bowl. you can score that that is what the laws of the game say you basically can score a goal with your hands and we saw it or, not deliberate if it's not deliberate yeah now that seems like a flaw or that seemed like a flaw and was surprising to a lot of people and that's what ifab has corrected from next season However, and I asked this directly to you know, UEFA's head of refs in August, and I said, surely that can't be right. And he's like, this is something. He's like, he was involved in a game once where somebody scored with an or gained a big advantage with an obviously unintentional handball, and he disallowed the goal. And going by the laws of the game, that's probably not correct, but going by common sense, it obviously is correct. And he said, and I will instruct my referees you know, to go and disallow those this season. No, these, these are these are directives. So that's what was in play. So the question is: Does the referee apply what's what the directives are, which would be disallow the goal, or does he stick to the letter of the law? That's one element. The other element is: Did it actually hit his arm? Um, I think there's different pictures that that show this. There's also different pictures. I mean certainly looks to me like it brushes against them. To what degree he actually gains an advantage, because that's another thing that's to be considered here, I think is is hugely debatable. And then there's a third element here, which is a bit cloak and dagger-ish. The video assistant referee, who's considered to be the best, most experienced video assistant referee, he didn't need to go and show this to Shakir, unless Shakir actually specifically asked for them. And we don't know if Shakir asked to see it again or not. Certainly his reaction afterwards... Suggested that it was almost like, oh, why are you showing me this? It's obvious. The goal should stand. So he chooses to show it. However, Shakir only appears to look at two camera angles. He does not appear to look at the angle, which is the one which you may have seen, which BT Sport broadcast, but only later. The one from through the net, so it's the one where it certainly appears the most, that it, that it hits his arm. Shakir didn't see that, and that, to me, is odd why Shakir wasn't shown that one. I don't think it's a grand conspiracy because they could have just not shown Shakir anything if they wanted to and just said, move on, it's fine. That's what's weird to me, and I don't know if there was a mistake there. Others have suggested to me that that camera angle is misleading because of distortion and whatever, but that's what we need to wrap our head around. But, I mean, I think we need to be clear on what the rules are. It's got nothing to do with whether his arm was in a natural position or, or not. It simply, you know, did it have a material effect, and did he gain an advantage? And are they applying the the directives, which is sort of a preview of next year's laws, or did he stick to to the laws of the game as they stand? So it's complicated now.
2: <laughs> it really is very complicated. But as it is, it is Tottenham then that that have gone through. Uh, Alan, let me ask you: Have you ever seen Maurizio Pochettino as emotional? as what we saw at the Etihad at the final whistle.
4: No, I mean, he does on occasion become emotional on the sideline, but I think in comparison to a lot of other managers like Guardiola and Klopp, he's he's not quite as visibly passionate. And, you know, people have been talking for a very long time now about, you know, yeah, he hasn't won a trophy yet. I mean, that performance last night has to sort of end that sort of tied argument completely, I think. You know, well, not not so much a performance last night, but, you know, progressing past City over two legs. Um, no, it's not a trophy, but, you know, he's proven that he can beat, you know, one of the best teams in Europe. They're in the Champions League semi-finals. There's undeniable progress. And I said a couple of weeks back when we were here that You know, there was a massive deal for them to to reach the top four because otherwise it would have been a complete disaster in terms of the new stadium next season. But, you know, since then, following a kind of a weird blip, they've kind of stepped it back up again. And, you know, there's there's no doubt in terms of, you know, Pochettino being a very, very good manager.
2: Um, But we shouldn't forget as well how injury hit Tottenham are as well. So... I mean, Maurizio Pochettino is working wonders with Tottenham right now, I think it's fair to say. But. Well, Loretta was only
4: on the pitch, really, because they didn't have a, you know, a midfield backup, because yeah. obviously Oliver Skip hasn't, you know, hasn't played in the Champions League, he's played, I think, maybe three Premier League games. He couldn't have thrown him into a quarterfinal second leg like that.
3: But, but I have to say, like that call, that decision to send on into versus Soko, I thought was remarkable, because you know, it's the kind of call that will be judged solely on the outcome of the game, mm-hmm. rightly or wrongly. You know, you can see the logic behind it. You know, you've got your rent for set pieces. Maybe he can hold the ball up and get fouled. On the flip side, obviously, you're you're certainly weakening yourself. And Skip is a specialist. And if he'd gone out, I'm sure, I am sure people would have written, oh, well, you know, he doesn't trust the youngsters. What is, you know, this whole myth about bringing young players through. It's all a nonsense. And, you know, why doesn't he trust a young lad, Skip? Um, and equally the same, same issue. If you put Skip on and Skip gives the ball away 50 times and the poor guy's up against the Bruyne and, and the Silver brothers, then it would have been, oh, well, you know, Skip, you know, clearly wasn't right for it and you should have brought him along sooner and threw him in at the deep end and whatever. It's it's all just empty words. Uh, <laughs> Unlike ours, of course.
2: Uh, you only have to see on that social media the negativity Urente was uh, getting up until he then scored that all important goal. It was, uh, yeah, it was quite a contrast. Now, Spurs then, through to the semi-final, they're going to face Ajax in the last four. Ajax, of course, the club that everyone are talking about right now, Alan. Yeah, and I'm
4: still kind of watching them feel a little bit sad because you know it's all going to fall apart in the summer and the the players are going to move on. Um, One of the most striking things is that I've kind of read, like... Some interesting stuff about um, Tadic and Blind being Premier League flops, and here they are suddenly in a Champions League semi-final. Which again, you know, it kind of it goes back to the same point where we make these kind of big judgments, and you know, Tadic who. You know, initially he was very good at Southampton, and I think under Cooman he he played really well. Didn't work out in the kind of latter days, but you know it's quite evident that he's a very good player. Um, Blind at United, you can look through the players that United have offloaded in the past few seasons. You know, there is kind of a thing, you know, not good enough to make the grade. And I think you know Hurst written in the paper about the, the United's current squad, and you know, have so many of those players aren't really up to scratch. But you know, we we make these big judgments that you know not good enough to play for it you know. Top four Premier League team, or even in Tadic's case, you know, mid-table Premier League team, and suddenly they're playing for a team that's beaten two of the biggest teams in Europe in a Champions League semi-final, and you know, it's quite clear that they're not the flops that a lot of people
3: have framed them to be. They just beat them. They outplayed them too, which which is pretty remarkable. Just as they outplayed Bayern Munich in the in the group stage, I think that's a really good point. I don't think that Tadic and Blint are. Necessarily better players than people thought they were. No, but they're not like flops either. Which was the sort of this narrative that had been created when they'd. You, you know? I, I agree. They're not. They're they're not flops. But I think what it shows, though, is that is the importance of coaching. I I I think this was the case of Eric ten Hag outwitting and outcoaching Real Madrid and Juventus because taken as individuals. Obviously, De Jong is a phenomenal player. Van de Beek is a phenomenal player. De Licht has got a great future. But, you know, go through the rest of the side. And, you know, David Nair is, is, is a kid. Zayek is one of those guys who, if he were in the Premier League, he would be at a mid-table side. Seems like and an, he's like be, an
4: Everton signing or something, isn't he?
3: Yeah, and he'd be criticized for his lack of end product and coming on and dribbling too much or shooting too much or whatever. You know, he's he's a guy who Premier League clubs have looked at for a long time and he's got evident issues. You know, Lassa is 32 and is what he is. So their wage bill was one-fifth that of Juventus and I presume like one-eighth probably that of Real Madrid. This is down to coaching. This is down to... The players, you know, you have some players with tremendous amounts of quality, but what you also have is players who are incredibly intelligent on the day. A manager comes up with the right game plan, sells it to the players, and they go out and play with with absolutely no fear. I think you have to give a tremendous amount of credit to them that way. And what this means, Natalie, is that one of the two teams at the Champions League final on June 1st at the Wanda Metropolitano will either be a team that's never been there before or a team that was last there... Before many of these players, many of its players were even born.
2: It's going to be a very fascinating semi-final, that's for sure. But what about Manchester City and uh, the fact that they were on for the quadruple? It's now the treble, as you've alluded to already, Paul. A heartbreaking night for them. Could this affect them in the title race?
5: Well, it's, it's the fact that they've got Spurs on Saturday again makes it even more interesting, doesn't it? The, 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 the running—I mean, it's, it's going to be weighing heavily on their minds what happened last night, but you got to remember they didn't they did win the match last night. You know, if, if it's a 4-3 win, will do them on Saturday again. Um, it's just the kind of deflation of not getting to the semi-finals that will, that will affect them. Um, you know, it's, it's down to man management, it's down to Guardiola now to lift them and he's, he's got a great track record when it comes to, you know, dealing with players individually. He knows what they want, you know, how they will react to to results like this. Um, so yeah, he's well, he's got no choice really. He's got to, he's got to pick him up, otherwise they're not going to win the league. I mean, you look at Liverpool now, and you'd think that you know they are going to win every match that they've got left. So City it's, you have to do the same. They have to have to beat Spurs on Saturday. Have to beat United um, in midweek next week. You know, there's no choice really. They've got to win all the games to uh, to win the league. So yeah, they'll have to have to pick themselves up quickly.
2: This season, with your subscription to The Times and the Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. Every Thursday at thetimes.co.uk, our very own Bill Edgar provides 11 trivia teasers for you and here is one for you on this podcast. Which player has scored 12 Premier League goals this season but is yet to be caught offside? Hmm. Stick around to the end of the podcast to find out the answer. It was a miserable week for the Manchester clubs in the Champions League as United were dispatched three nil by Barcelona, four nil on aggregate. Paul, you went out to Barcelona this week, but also to the Barça youth academy. Are they on their way back, Barcelona? From what you've seen?
5: Um, yeah, in terms of the yeah, in terms of the first team, obviously it was a, a complete drubbing of Manchester United. There were you know, United just fell to pieces. Ash, Ashley Young, um, for some reason, maybe it was a homage to, to Johan Cruyff, I don't know, but he, he tried to uh, turned 20 yards from his own goal and, and, and let Messi in, uh, and United kind of folded after that. But in terms of the, the, the youth set up, um, La Masia, yeah, I, I went on to a tour around there last week, and it's just an incredible place, a uh, fascinating place. You know, state of the art kind of technology and really impressive young people, young players, confident players, mature players, and incredibly skillful and talented players. So, you know, they've had a lot of criticism recently about not producing as many stars for the first team as they did for Pep's team, etc. But um, they've got three or four good young players coming through that they think will make it. Um, and They've recently gone into the first team as well, or first team squad. So. They're confident that they their conveyor belt's still um, still producing the you know, the the kind of best young players around.
2: It is of course Liverpool that they will face in the semi finals of the Champions League. Second leg will be at Anfield as well. Barca are the bookies' favourites to win the whole thing, but the tie, Alan, so intriguing.
4: Yeah, and I think you know, obviously the winner of the semi final will go into the final as the big favourites because basically know-how and having been there and done that. I kind of find it quite, you know, Barcelona probably very slight favourites, but I find this tie incredibly difficult to predict. Um, I honestly have no idea who's, who's going to progress because you kind of look at, from watching Barcelona, you know, it's messy excellence again throughout the entire season, but there are certain players who haven't really been as good as you would sort of expect them to be. I don't think the midfield is as strong as a... Barcelona midfield was five, maybe even six years ago. Um, defensively, I feel like you know Liverpool can cause them quite a few problems. And you know, in terms of Liverpool's defense, I feel because they've defended quite well for most of the season that you know they could not sort of silence Messi, but keep him a lot quieter than United certainly. Certainly, managed to do so. In terms of the tie, I've honestly no idea who um, who's going to progress.
2: As for United, then you and that defeat to, to Barcelona, everyone's spoken about the rebuilding job that needs to be done. And Ole and Solskjaer said after the game that the squad does need an overhaul. Paul, you've written about this for the Times. Who needs to go?
5: Oh, quite a few of them. I mean, they, they, they are really. You look at that squad, and I just think, who are the players who are really top draw, top class, silverware winning players? You probably Rashford, Marshall, Pogba, De Gea. You know, sure, maybe maybe Lingard at a, at a push, but you know the the rest is pretty um, you know it's pretty pretty weak kind of meek existence really for a meek group of players. Uh, you know, would you hang your hat on Chris Smalling if you were going for the title? Would you do the same with Phil Jones? Um, I just think they need it, it does need you know six seven players to leave. It Needs a you know a proper revamp and a similar number coming in. Um, but obviously the danger is if they get this wrong again, then, you know, it's, it could be another four or five years before they're even getting anywhere near challenging for the title. So you, you look at players like Valencia, he's going to be going the end of the season. Herrera is leaving for PSG. Looks like Mata is heading out as well. Damien, they'll try and sell him. Rojo as well.
3: The other thing I want to ask you about, because he is a saleable asset and he has a contract issue as well, is David De Gea. Because I guess they've exercised the option on his contract, but they have to extend him now, right?
5: Yeah, he has. He's out of sub, out of contract in June 2020, right. and the last time I heard, there, were, there were no nearer to to coming to an agreement with him about the about a new deal. He, he wants basically the same or similar wages to what Sanchez has earned it, and this is why the Sanchez deal is such. Um, it's such, been such a terrible deal for United because everyone else was looking at him in the squad and saying, this guy's earning 350 grand a week basic, and he's done nothing. think he scored three league goals, and they're all against pretty poor opposition. So but,
3: but this in- is a curious <sighs> thing with De Gea. How do you see this out? Because what I was told was that United feel pretty confident that they can hardball De Gea mm. for the simple reason that... De Gea's reputation, I know here in England you have to automatically say he's the best goalkeeper in the world but his yeah. reputation outside of England is not what it is in England and secondly most of the European big clubs already have a top drawer goalkeeper um, with the exception possibly of Juventus but who knows if they're going to have any money left so I've been told that United feel pretty confident that you know they'll just keep blowballing him and he's not going to run his contract down but that's it's kind of a dangerous game to play, isn't
5: it? Yeah, it's a hugely dangerous game to play. Particularly when... I, I take your point about the, you know, the big European clubs when it comes to their number ones at the moment. But Real Madrid haven't exactly got a, an ideal situation when it comes to their goalkeeper. The Zidane doesn't seem struck on Courtois. And Navas, you know, he, he seems to kind of... You know, my personal opinion is he's not that good. I certainly think De Gea is a better goalkeeper than he is. So if Real Madrid see the situation with De Gea not signing a new contract at United, they might put in a £60-70 million bidding th- for him.
3: What about a swap with Courtois? Mm. That'd be pretty cool. That yeah. would be, that'd be good for United, right?
5: Um, yeah. I'd, I'd, I mean, if, if De Gea makes it clear for me, he's not going to sign a new contract then that would be a good deal for him. But the, the noise of the article last time I heard was that they were absolutely not going to sell him this summer and they'd rather let him run down his contract. But if it comes to the end of July and they're still in this situation, then, you know, my God, that is, is an incredibly dangerous game to play. Uh, particularly, if you, I mean, you look at Oblak signing a new contract to Atletico Madrid. I'm not sure what his release clause is, if he's got one. But I, I imagine it won't be cheap. You know, so who are you going to look to? It's going to cost you an absolute fortune to bring in a new goalkeeper and you are losing one of the best for for free.
2: Well, it is Everton who are next up for Manchester United. That is on Sunday. In the last month, Marco Silva's men have beaten Chelsea, beaten Arsenal and then they've also lost to Fulham. So who knows what we're going to get on Sunday, Alan?
4: Even though they've lost the Craven Cottage, Everton really actually probably in better form. United, aren't they? Um, I'm not really, I'm not too sure how much they really want to finish in seventh and to go into the Europa League next season. But considering the way United have played in recent weeks, and I think really it's you know, people have kind of said it since Solskjaer got the job permanently, but since the PSG game, where you know they a remarkable result, but it just hasn't really been the same, has it? Um, Everton, I mean seen them too much live. I've seen them quite a bit on TV, but every time I watch them I've no idea what to expect. They're just so hit and miss. They could look very good one minute and the same game later on look really, really poor and, you know, casual and you know, just these random errors which shouldn't happen. So, you know, it's kind of a tricky gabe to predict considering i've also noticed it's now more than a month since there's been a draw in the premier league i think the last draw was in march 16th so you know depending on saturday's results um i wouldn't be surprised if it ended up
1: level on sunday
0: voiceover describes what's happening on your iphone screen
1: voiceover on settings
0: so you can navigate it just by listening
1: books contacts calendar double tap to open Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11.
0: And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.
1: Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you.
2: New life was breathed into the uh, battle to avoid relegation on Tuesday night. 18th place, Cardiff, were 2-0 winners at the Amex, closing the gap on opponents Brighton to two points. Now, Alan, you were there. Do Cardiff look more likely to stay up now?
4: Um, More likely because the gap has been trimmed by three points. I don't think they will stay up just because it was more down to... Brighton being really really bad than Cardiff being you know performing exceptionally. Um, Nathaniel Mendez Lang scored a really really good goal for for Cardiff's first, and the second was just kind of just came from a set piece and Brighton really just not defending very well. Both have very very difficult run ins. Um, Brighton need to go to Wolves, Spurs, Arsenal, and also play at home to City on the final day. And if the title race is still alive, you don't really give them um, okay. a chance there. Sorry. But do this: How
3: many points are they getting from these five fixtures? <laughs>
4: I wouldn't be surprised if both teams didn't earn another point from those from the remaining games. Do you think Cardiff are going to lose
3: away to Fulham and at home to Palace? Well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Palace. yeah. Pa- no, the reason not mentioned Palace is that they'll have nothing left to play for. No disrespect to Palace. Yeah, Pal- yeah, but I mean, like, Fulham, Fulham
4: recently beat Everton, where kind of people were like, okay, they're, they're going to have given up. So I don't think
3: Cardiff going. There is necessarily the complete, getting six to points, or maybe not safe, but between four and six points, right? Yeah, because well, Man United away in the last day of the season. If United aren't,
4: then you look at Brighton and you kind of think, you know, Newcastle at home. Um, they could possibly get a result there, considering Newcastle. You know, really safe now, having beaten Leicester earlier this week. They don't really have much, much to play for. It. Um, I just
3: feel like Arsenal away if they've fallen off. See, this is what I find well, fascinating. If, if, if Arsenal fall off somehow in the top four race, and Arsenal away, I'm assuming is going to be around the time of the Europa League final. If they get there, you know, that's yeah. what I love. There's all these weird variables like, yeah, going yeah. on. But if but if Arsenal is still
4: fighting for the top four, you wouldn't really. And considering Arsenal's sort of home form as well, you wouldn't really give yeah. them give them a, a chance there. I just felt like. You know, Brighton are in this really, really bad place. Five games in all competitions since they've scored. Um, You know, we're kind of saying at the beginning of the season that, you know, they're so reliant on Glenn Murray. and It was fine because he was scoring. And I think he scored scored something like nine goals before sort of like early December. And he's got three goals since then. He's he's missed a, a number of games as well. But Brighton have sort of, you know, had... Spent relatively a decent amount of money in the summer to try and bring help in for him. And none of those signings have
3: really worked. Um, uh, you know, you shouldn't ask a question to which you don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. So <laughs> Let's I'm going to look it up online. But no, you mentioned they were heavily reliant on Glenn Murray. Mm. I thought last season they were heavily reliant on Pascal Gross. Yeah. What's up with him?
4: He um, had spent a bit of time out injured. He actually started his first game in—I'm not sure exactly—but it was quite a while um, on Tuesday night, and he looked—you know—he offered offers them. Like a guy coming back from injury. Yeah, at the beginning he looked quite decent, um, and then faded just because he's—you know—the match fitness quite clearly isn't there. But I think in terms of their midfield, there's, there really isn't much creativity there, and he offers them an extra sort of dimension, which they've they've really, really badly missed. Um, so he could, and, he could keep them up. Like, if they stay up, he, he's likely to play a
3: big part. Yeah.
4: Another big thing which struck me was that, you know, they, they sort of, because they've never been a high-scoring team, they've relied on defending quite well. And they're just now, probably mostly because they seem sort of, you know, just crippled by anxiety and just really, really low in confidence. There are these sort of basic errors which just shouldn't be allowed to happen so like Cardiff's second goal was and I know Chris Euton was like probably more disappointed about the the manner in which they considered the second goal than anything else and Tuesday night came from a set piece free kick towards the back post and Lewis Dunk just completely lost Sean Morrison who's meant to have been defending Morrison was allowed to sort of drift behind him Dunk then mistimed his jump which are these sort of errors which usually you wouldn't kind of see from you know, a player who's you know has been largely up them in the past few weeks. So well, they made them at the weekend too.
3: Yeah, well, like two up, straight defensive.
4: No, no, no. But up, yeah. up until like a few weeks ago, okay. say maybe February, Duffy and Dunk have actually been a really good central defensive partnership. And just in recent weeks, for I'm assuming it's just that like confidence is completely gone. These sort of weird errors have have crept in, and it just you know it looks it looks quite bleak. Um, and I just think they will survive because i don't see Cardiff, you know actually getting too many more results despite having to play for them
2: pascal gross was out for just uh, under two months just so you know um
3: and that's when brighton kept losing
2: you could probably I mean, I, tie I got, in yes
3: he wasn't as good i think this year as he was last year in mean, pre-injury but i just thought last year he was such a he was such a difference maker and, and one of the best attacking midfielders in, in the premier league
2: um as it is then, Brighton lost. You were there, Alan. Um, do you sense the mood there and and the fear that perhaps Brighton fans have and the pressure that is now under Chris Hutton?
4: Yeah, and I think it's sort of I looked at the the watch. I think there were six minutes gone and Dale Stevens had sort of played a really poor pass and had given the ball away. And at the Amex, um, the press box is kind of, it's behind the dugouts and you're quite close to the fans depending on where you're sitting. So I was sitting on sitting right, right on the edge of the press box and there was a supporter immediately to my right who just rose in fury and started screaming at Houghton for Stevens to be taken off. That anxiety just translates onto the pitch. Um, and it, it was quite difficult to figure out because... There were moments where, you know, the entire ground just seemed to collectively groan if they gave the ball away or if someone missed time to run. And then, of course, like within five minutes of the second half, conceded the second and, you know, the entire ground just kind of, you could kind of sense the deflation immediately. And there were people leaving after 50 minutes. So I think, you know, it's difficult. If, if you're a Brighton fan, you're going to be sort of frustrated by how poorly they're playing and the sort of the lack of a sort of plan B, lack of creativity, defensive areas, etc., but at the same time, that sort of pressure, from a player's point of view, I'm assuming, you know, isn't exactly helpful if you're gonna be having, you know, fans shouting for you to be taken off after six minutes for giving the ball away. Hi there and welcome to The
6: Sweeper, which is the Times' fancy football tip service. I'm Charlie Scott, without Paddy Bear, which is very sad, he's having a week off. So we're into game week 35, it's a pretty juicy looking double game week in fancy Premier League land. The pick of the bunch, I would say, certainly from a differential perspective, of Watford and Southampton. Watford play Huddersfield and Southampton. A lot of their players, despite picking up plenty of points this season, are not owned by many many managers people like Gerald Delafoe who's a bit of a fitness stout, Abdoulaye Decore Kiko Femenia, the centre back and Andre Gray up front who should be in line to start with Joy Deeney suspended after being sent off against Arsenal last week there's plenty of value to be had from Watford their second match, Southampton, I mentioned. Southampton have also got plenty of players who have very low ownership. Maya Yoshida is one I've picked out, the centre-back. He started the past six matches and only cost £4.1 million. Their games are against Newcastle and Watford. Nathan Redmond is in fine form. He uh, picked up loads of points last time out. And Danny Ames is back, which is always a enticing prospect because he has shown his quality in the past few years. City play Spurs in the first match of the game week on Saturday afternoon. And I think we might see City hit back after being knocked out of the Champions League by Maurizio Pochettino's side. Kevin De Bruyne was particularly brilliant in the second leg of their quarter final and has been in great form in the Premier League. The only doubt over him during the double game week is whether he'll play both games. They played Spurs on Saturday and then United midweek. Liverpool are an interesting option because they're not playing twice but they have a great game away to Cardiff. Mohamed Salah looks pretty much back to his best and they've got a brilliant run to end the season so I think he's certainly a captain the option. The best other double game weeks players you should be looking to have in uh, from Wolves, they've got Brighton and Arsenal. Arsenal themselves play Palace and Wolves and uh, Spurs as well who play City on Saturday and then Brighton next week. Ericsson in particular has uh, 26 points in his past three game weeks so he's worth considering. For more hints and tips then sign up for the weekly email at thesweeper.co.uk forward slash football or join our Facebook group by searching for The Sweeper on Facebook and you can chuck your teams in there any questions you might have for Paddy or I and we'll get back to you with some advice.
2: It is time now for our weekly predictions game where we pick five matches from this Easter weekend and try to predict the correct score. Just to remind you, Gab, I'm leading 17-12. It's actually
3: 15-14 with VAR, but anyway.
2: (laughs) Unfortunately, VAR does not come into effect until next season. Exactly. Uh, Let us start then with uh, the rematch. Manchester City against Spurs this weekend.
3: Yeah, so logic here suggests... Manchester City vent their frustration on Spurs and muller them 3 or 4 nil. I'm going to go against logic. I'm going to suggest that that the trauma and Pochettino's lucky hat suggests that this is going to be very close. I'm going to go one nil to City.
2: Oh, really? Interesting. Uh, Well, I am going down the (laughs) the route of the emotional exertions of the game at the Etihad in midweek in the Champions League will be too much for Tottenham to to be able to recreate at the Etihad again. So I think with Manchester City having to concentrate now on the Premier League title race, I'm going for them to win and to win by three goals to one.
3: All right. Moving on to Goodison, a game that Alan's going to be at. Everton against Manchester United. Jordan Pickford taking on his future team after Neil (laughs) Warnock takes over from Solskjaer in October and decides (laughs) that they need more English players.
2: Wow, Neil Warnock at Manchester United. you imagine? Wow, that'll be something. Um, oh, this I find this one very difficult to call. I'm actually going to go for a draw in this one. I think this is going to end up
3: 1-1. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I just um, see more goals. So I'm going to say 2-2 between Everton and United.
2: I did wrestle with 2-2, but OK, fine. To the game then at uh, Cardiff, where it's Liverpool who are the visitors. Liverpool will want to uh, reclaim top spot should Manchester City beat Spurs on the Saturday. I mean, despite the victory over Brighton in midweek, which may have given Cardiff some hope in their relegation fight, I can't really see them <laughs> getting anything out of this. 3-0, Liverpool
3: win. Yeah, I'm actually going to go the other way. I, I, I could see, you know, like at some point, they're both at an in incredible pace. And what we do know is that teams that are facing the drop can get nasty and edgy and mm-hmm. something can happen. I think Cardiff, let me go out on a limb. Basically, because I need to go out on a limb yes. to win because Charlie stacked everything against me. <laughs> so I'm going to go for a longer shot and I'm going to say um, Cardiff won, Liverpool won.
2: Ooh, he's going down the conspiracy theory, Charlie. Let's move into the EFL and League One. Accrington Stanley. Who are they? <laughs> Very good. Hosting Luton. Both of these teams promoted from League Two last season. It's fair to say Luton are the team that are faring the better this time around.
3: If you say that, I'll need to believe you. And I will assume that Luton are, are doing rather well.
2: Should start making stuff up just <laughs> to steer you.
3: But, you know, that milk ad was a big formative part of my childhood, so um, I'm going to say Accrington Stanley, won, Luton, one. Because the other thing that I've learned, and we were both tricked by this after that stupid Sunderland result last week, mm-hmm. is not to trust the table in League One. I think it's entirely made up. I think people just put yeah. down numbers and they don't make any sense. Because how could Sunderland, who are supposed to be good, concede five goals at home to freaking Coventry, who are about to be wound up? It makes no sense.
2: <laughs> Accrington have won only two of their last 11 games. They actually did win their last one. So they come into this with a little bit of confidence. They are only four points clear The relegation zone. So they need the points. So they do need the points. Luton lost for the first time Uh in League One since mid October when they lost to Charlton last weekend.
3: Wheels are coming off.
2: You could say that, but I still expect them to get back to winning way. So I'm going for a 2 1 Luton win.
3: And finally, Paris Saint Germain against Monaco. Now, you may be wondering, uh, listeners who don't pay a lot of attention, why do they have Paris Saint-Germain in here when truly they wrapped up the league a long time ago? <laughs> I know. Uh, they should have, but they didn't because, of course, last weekend they were beaten 5-1 by Lille. Midweek, they're, they're playing Not They figure, hey, no fuss, no muss, you know, well, what or not. And they lost, 3-1. They still only need a point um, at this stage to win it. The interesting thing is everybody is injured or suspended, the lineup that that he played you look at the squad for midweek there's going to be names in there that well, i don't even think even thomas tuchel knew who these people were at the start of the season and monaco i think their results have improved they will stay up but so tempted wouldn't it be awesome if they screwed this one up and they had to wait another week, <laughs> another week. for the big celebration well,
2: isn't this the fourth time that they're going to try and attempt to win it because they drew before those two defeats as well
3: yeah so I'm going to go for the draw here, <laughs> and you're going to go on a limb again. I'm going to say PSG one, Monaco one.
2: Yes. Well, you've made some interesting points there. I just think it's probably now is the time that PSG will be crowned champions. I think it'll be a difficult game. Two-one win for PSG.
3: All right, which means they become champions. Huge surprise.
2: <laughs> Just enough time to give the answer to Bill Edgar's trivia teaser. We asked you which player has scored twelve Premier League goals this season, but has yet to be caught offside. And Gab, you were there saying, Oh, it's easy. Go on then.
3: Not that many players have scored twelve Premier League goals, but I'm reasonably confident is that he lives on the second floor. And I think I've seen him before. Am I right?
2: Alan, who is he talking about? Um,
3: He scores
4: a lot of penalties.
3: Um, I'm, not gonna, I'm, not gonna, okay, I'm not okay, going pre- to pronounce, pronounce his name last yeah, yeah. week in a Bulgarian way. And I oh, I, I
2: know, was... but I don't know if that is how you say it. That's the problem.
3: Okay, well, do you want to tell us who it is then?
2: Are we talking about Luka? Luka yeah. what?
3: Milivojevic Milovoj- Milovoj-
2: or Milovoj- Milovoj- I don't know if that is how you say it, but that's yeah, yeah, yeah. how it just.
3: Well, right. you were adamant that I was wrong
4: last week. About what? pronunciation of his name. How would you say
3: that? That's because she
2: said it correctly. That's how
3: I... But it could be that. Yeah. But I just... The I way I look at it, I Luka. just get Milovoyevich, You're haven't. Bulgarian. You this wouldn't know. It doesn't
2: mean anything. Okay. That is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Paul Hurst and Alan Smith.
3: Well, remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and also on your smartphone or tablet. Just one pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription. For more information, put it in quotes, even. That's what I like to do when I <laughs> when I go and use DuckDuckGo for, uh, uh, for my searches. <laughs> and sometimes Bing, too. Uh,
2: we'll be back on Monday ahead of a midweek Manchester derby.
4: The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.
0: VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen.
1: VoiceOver on settings.
0: So you can navigate it just by listening.
1: Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11.
0: And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.
1: Small details or big surfaces? Tight corners or odd shapes? Flat, rounded, textured or tall? Whatever your next project...